Hi, everybody, and welcome to Taking Stock. I'm Kalila Reynolds, Ron Matiza. <laughs> Barita is looking to raise another 10 to $15 billion from their latest APO, which is now open. But the company has been on the defensive following questions about their intricate business structures. We'll get answers. And the analysts weigh in on the latest market developments. Scotia, Jamaica Broilers and Fontana results are out. How did they do? And Proven has sold its 20% stake in Dream Entertainment. But why? This and more on Taking Stock Live, the Caribbean's number one business show. With me, Kalila Reynolds, three-time business journalist of the year. Catch new episodes of Taking Stock every Tuesday at 8 p.m. on YouTube, KalilaReynolds.com, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Let's get this money. Let's get this money. <laughs> Let's get this money. Absolutely. This is another live episode of Taking Stock. I feel like we just need to change the name to Taking Stock Live and Done. But welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Kalila Reynolds. My pleasure to be here with you on this Tuesday evening. Remember, we're bringing you all of the latest business news and telling you how it will affect you and your money. You can head over to my website, kalilareynolds.com. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to my newsletter. And you can even have a direct link for you, kalilareynolds.com slash newsletter. Uh, once this live has ended, or you can do it now, just open another tab on your computer or your phone or wherever and get my newsletter straight to your inbox twice a week. There's also a little incentive in there for you, especially if you're a new investor, you're looking to open an account, you don't know who you should open with. Once you subscribe to that newsletter, you will get my guide to choosing a broker in Jamaica, PDF downloadable for free. And if you're an existing investor, it's also useful to know where your current broker stacks up. So go ahead and subscribe to that newsletter. Now, come on, let's get this money. Here's what's hot, brought to you by Jamaica Money Market Brokers, your best interest at heart. Barita Investments has issued an addendum to its prospectus in relation to its additional public offer APO, which opened on September 6. The addendum was a requirement of the Financial Services Commission, FSC, to ensure an orderly disclosure of material information relevant to the public offer. It also comes on the heels of questions raised by the Trinidad Express referencing Barita and its parent company, Cornerstone Financial Holdings. The addendum provides commentary and analysis in relation to the financial statements, key business drivers, and outcomes for the company's third quarter covering the nine months ending June 2021. The FSC says the disclosures have been reviewed in line with their requirements for disclosures in management discussion and analysis. For the nine-month period, Barita recorded an 83% jump in net profits to $3.7 billion and a 77% rise in net operating revenues to $6.7 billion. The document explained that the expanded focus in the group's credit and fixed income portfolios, a 50% year-on-year rise in repo liabilities, as well as improvements in fees and commission income and foreign exchange trading and translation gains were the main contributors to the rise in revenue. Mention was also made of the special holdings company Barita Finance Limited BFL, which the company said was responsible for increased activity in its structured finance division, leading to growth in its asset management business. 
According to the addendum, Barita Finance offers customized investment solutions, including notes or bonds to investors. It's said the solutions are typically supported by assets in an underlying portfolio managed by Barita Investments. For that service, Barita Investments receives compensation from Barita Finance in the form of a management fee. Barita noted that the investment management arrangement has a fixed or performance-linked fee structure, which has allowed the company to participate in returns generated by the portfolio. For the period under review, Barita Investments generated $696 million in direct fees from the Structured Finance Division. Barita's total assets stood at $84.2 billion as of June 2021, a 62% increase over the previous year. The Bank of Jamaica BOJ says it has no issue with blockchain technology, despite not choosing a blockchain solution to run Jamaica's digital currency. The response follows concerns raised by the Caribbean Blockchain Alliance following an exclusive interview on taking stock with CEO of eCurrency. eCurrency is the company that won the bid to develop Jamaica's digital currency. There is now a debate over the technology being used by eCurrency versus the blockchain solution. The BOJ said not using blockchain at the source to mint, issue and redeem Jamaica's central bank digital currency does not prevent wallet providers from incorporating blockchain in their network to deliver the digital currency to their customers. The BOJ also said the possibility exists that the central bank might use blockchain technology in other ways in the future. BOJ says eCurrency's solution met all the requirements of the bank as it provides the ability for BOJ to conduct all the currency management processes of a central bank. It said the solution provides seamless integration with the existing financial market infrastructure in Jamaica, in particular the Jamaica Clear Real-Time Gross Settlement System RTGS at the earliest possible timeline and allows for quick scalability. United States President Joe Biden has announced that federal government employees and contractors will now be required to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. He also mandated the Occupational Safety and Health Administration to create a rule for private businesses with 100 or more employees to be required to be vaccinated or get tested weekly. The requirements are part of the president's new six-part strategy to combat the Delta variant. It follows the call in July for federal workers to attest to their vaccination status and submit to mitigation efforts if they are not vaccinated, such as mask usage and regular testing. Meanwhile, in Jamaica, Prime Minister Andrew Holness has said the current health situation gives strong justification for a vaccine mandate here. However, he said there would have to be an extensive public education and consultation before such a decision is made. He said the government would have to demonstrate that all options have been exhausted and that citizens have been engaged on the plans to ensure their rights are protected. Pulse Investments has secured a $1.1 billion seven-year bond, which it said will be used to complete its transformation to a real estate company. This follows the capital raise of $1.21 billion earlier this year, which comprised a $440 million short-term loan and a $770 million note extended by a related party. The funds were used to acquire the Villaronai property and retire debt. Pauls said the new bond will be used to repay the short-term loan and finance the first phase of the 30-unit Pulse Homes development at Villa Ronai. Construction is planned to start later this year. 
The bond, being arranged and underwritten by Barita Investments, is to be listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange's private bond market. Pulse is scheduled to file its audited financial statements with the JSC within the next few days. President and CEO of Proven Management Christopher Williams has said the company's decision to sell its 20% stake in Dream Entertainment was not influenced by the controversy over this year's staging of Dream Weekend. There have been criticisms that the five-day party series held in the grill August 5-9 has contributed to Jamaica's third wave of COVID-19. However, in a response to the Jamaica Observer, Williams said Proven had accepted an offer from June before any discussion started about the reopening of the entertainment sector. The announcement of the completion of the transaction was made last week in a release on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. The shares have been sold to Jamaican company Yes Aya Limited, whose directors and principals are Ryan Reed, Michael Banbury, and Sean Shelton. Reed and Banbury are also co-founders of real estate and private equity company First Rock Capital Holdings. Proven had acquired the 20% shares in a dream in 2019 for 570,000 US dollars or 75.28 million Jamaican. Williams told the Observer that they broke even on the sale. El Salvador faced a rocky start on the first day of its adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender. The government-backed e-wallet suffered from technological issues, while the price of Bitcoin also tumbled globally. According to the New York Times, the price of Bitcoin had broken $52,000 last Monday, with the announcement that El Salvador had bought an initial 200 Bitcoins in anticipation of the rollout. But it quickly fell to around $45,000 on Tuesday, as thousands in opposition to the cryptocurrency and judicial changes took to the streets to protest its use. Protesters included judges and magistrates. To make matters worse, the government's digital app, facilitating transactions also went offline temporarily. The president said the servers powering the wallet, Chivo, had to be taken offline to add capacity. He said the stakeholders preferred to correct it before reconnecting it. What's Heart was brought to you by Jamaica Money Market Brokers, your best interest at heart. Hey, moneymakers, you're not an official part of the family until you have your merch. Visit kalilorenolds.com slash store to order your t-shirt and your mask today. Let's get this money. This segment of Taking Stock is brought to you by Bulwark Insurance Agency. Insurance made easy. Welcome back, everybody. Hey, wow, 156 people already joining us on the live. Clearly, there's a lot of interest in the topic that we're about to discuss. I'm really happy to see so many uh, people on. We got Celia in Portmore, O'Shane in Kingston, Simone there in Maypen, Clarendon, Kifash says uh, he or she is in beautiful Waterhouse in Kingston, Tracy and Jarrett watching from Sav in Westmoreland. So people all over the length and breadth of this island are in tune right now to find out, you know, more about the topics that we're going to talk about today. Shireen in Montego Bay, Camicia in Mobe as well. OJ is joining us all the way from Australia. Whoa, what's it like there down on the mic? <laughs> <laughs> Big up Richie in Kingston as well. Damien says this is his first live stream, so I'm glad for that. Glad to have you guys all on. So 
What are we talking about today? It is certainly a hot topic. Well, Barita Investments is looking to raise $10 million or even as much as $15 million if the offer is oversubscribed from its additional public offer, APO. It's their third capital raise in three years. The last year, remember, they did an APO. The year before, they did a rights issue. So it's a whole heap of money Barita is coming with. The share price, $80, and the minimum investment is 300 shares. So they're at quick mats, and you'd need at least 24,000 Jamaican dollars to invest in this offer. Or if you're working in USD, that's about 160 US dollars if you want to participate. The offer is open now. It opened on September 6th, and it's scheduled to close a week from today, so next week, Tuesday, September 21. And I'm sure you're here because you're trying to decide if you want to invest in this APO. So talking to us about it today, we have Raul Pinnock. He's the Manager of Investment Banking and Investor Relations at Barita Investments. We also have Vice President of Asset Management and Research at Barita Investments, Ramon Small-Ferguson. R&R, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kalila. Boy, 178, the numbers are climbing. Uh, Barita, you guys are so good at marketing. Ever, next time, bring on Simon with the B, or, or you two put the B in your hair. <laughs> I, I, I can't. Yeah, I, I, I leave that to Ramon, Simon, what's your please. excuse? Huh? I leave it to Simon. You leave it to Simon, you have no excuse. You should have, Tuono should have come with a bee in your hair. So, uh, Raul, you could try it on with a marker. So, you did a reverse bee. <laughs> Next time. So, our viewers, just to let you know that we will be taking some comments from you guys. Just uh, type your comment in the live chat if there's something that you want to ask to the team, specifically about the APO or to whatever. You know, there's a lot of things about Barita in the news lately. Type it in the chat so that we can see. So, Ramon, Raul, I started this introduction by saying that this is your third, Barita's third capital raise in three years. If successful, you would have raised about $28.5 billion Jamaican dollars in three years. So, the question that first comes to mind is, what do you want with all of this money? Well, the, the thing about it, you see, Kalila, something that I want to really leave your audience with tonight is to understand what the vision of our parent company Cornerstone is and really how Barita fits into that vision. And it's, it's quite an expansive one looking to, yes, add shareholder value, but also to really be transformative in the lives of the average man and woman in Jamaica and in the Caribbean. And one of the ways that we think we can do that is to really continue to, to act in the traditional financial assets, your stocks and your bonds and your FX trading, net interest income, et cetera, as we have been doing, but to also bulk up our investment banking platform in terms of our supply of capital to large and medium-sized uh, and small companies in Jamaica and around the region. But also, if you think about things like infrastructure investment and you think about 
really catalyzing growth in private companies in Jamaica and around the region. What we need to do that is really to fund our business in a prudent way within a long-run strategy. So if you hear about medium and small businesses in a former life, I would hear them complain about access to capital all the time. But what we want to do with all of these raises is important to understand that we're raising equity capital, we're raising long-term capital, and we think that is the prudent way to fund the kind of transformative change that we want to see in Jamaica and in the region. You know, if you spend any time at all with, with our parent company CEO, you'd understand just the scope of the ambition. You know, I, 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 I try to tell people just the, fear, the, the sheer force is like a hurricane wrapped in a whirlwind in terms of the energy that he brings to the game. The vision that our parent company has is not one of Jamaica as it is today or as it has been in the past, but it's really, you know, much like has happened to Barita in the last few years. It's a Barita that looks very different from if you saw it maybe five or ten years ago. We see a, a Jamaica and a region that's very different, and we think, you know, infrastructure um, and real estate assets are some examples of the things that would, could really transform the landscape. And the way to fund that is by equity, hence all of these equity offerings. And that type of funding also takes quite a bit of money. And that's why, you know, in the context of our strategy, we have sought to come back to the market in these repeated offerings. And importantly, our parent company is right there with us every time investing at this price and giving the minority shareholder the opportunity to invest, not at a higher price than they have come in, right, which is the case around the world oftentimes, but at the same price. You are given the opportunity to invest at the same price point um, as, our, our, as our parent company, committing capital, showing confidence, and executing this plan. And in the, in, the, in the meantime, I think we've built quite a bit of value, if I do say so myself. You've clearly done quite a lot. Uh, I've been looking at the, the comments. I, I just searched Twitter today for Barita just to see what people were saying, what the sentiment is. And a lot of people are impressed with your campaign, especially marketing-wise, because you've been on the ball in terms of marketing and not just that acquiring talent and also just getting new customers because i have noticed a, a marked change when you talk about investments in jamaica people who ask me who they should open an, a firm with a lot of people a lot more people have started asking me specifically about barita in the past year in particular uh, so i think that you guys have been deploying that capital and putting it to work in terms of one of the specific things mentioned in the prospectus, expanding the regional and local footprint, uh, a few months ago, you opened the Freeport, was it, location, a location in Montego Bay. Uh, what other plans do you have for local expansion and regional expansion? Should we expect more uh, branches soon? Yes, I can take that one, Kalila. So, I mean, a big part of what we're looking to do uh, in the context of that vision that Raul just outlined, is to, to be where our customers are, right? So, you know, we would have spoken in our last prospectus about our digital strategy, but we're complementing that with a few strategic locations around Jamaica to ensure that we make wealth management solutions, we make investing accessible to our clients, right? 
So we would have opened two branches since the start of this financial year, as you rightfully pointed out, one in Montego Bay and another one in Kingston. And we have a few other locations that we are prospecting and that we've made concrete plans uh, to move uh, on developing. With respect to our presence in the region, I mean, we would have already started that through our, our various strategic partnerships. We've already started funding companies in the region. For example, we've already started onboarding clients from outside of Jamaica. So that will take various forms. Naturally, we will continue to do some of the suitcase banking that we've been doing where we've stayed from Jamaica and had an impact. Suitcase um, banking? Suitcase oh, what that mean now? So essentially, we're staying here in Jamaica and we are doing business outside of Jamaica. So, so that's, that's the old school term for it. You know, when the bankers used to go away with the suitcase, get business and come back to where, where they're from. Um, so we'll continue to do that type of um, activity. And as the opportunity may present, if it does, if it makes sense for us to have boots on the ground somewhere outside of Jamaica, we'll do that. So I see a lot of questions coming in in the chat. And so let me start with one from, oh, where did it go? Where did it go? It had to do with the share price. Somebody was asking, let me see if I can find it back to justify the share price so the $80 for the shares in this APO. Why that price? Sure. So that's a good question, Kalila. So if you look at the share price, I mean, 80 is certainly higher than 52, which would have been the price of our previous offer. But if you move away from price and you look at value, which is something that the analysts on your program always talk about, and if you look at, for example, value as represented by a price to earnings ratio, right? So the price compared to how much we would have been earning per share over the last 12 months or so, our offer is currently priced at about 18.6 times our, our earnings over the previous 12 months. And the previous offer was priced at 19.92 times. So though the price is a little bit higher, it would seem that there is a bit more value. Just looking on that metric alone uh, in this offer at that $80 price. So, you know, we, we think that it's it's rational. Uh, we have had, as you pointed out, a couple of offers over the last several years and participants in those offers would have done well to date. Uh, and we're asking for our shareholders to place faith in us again. And, you know, join the burrito story and give us the capacity to add value, not only to them, but to our customers and to spur economic growth, you know, in the way that Raul articulated along our different lines of business. All right. So and speaking uh, of, oh, you want to go ahead? Go ahead first. Yeah, I, was, I was just going to say, if I could add to the whole idea of the share price, a lot of the time, like Roman explained, it's not about what price you pay as much as it's um, how much earnings are you getting for each dollar uh, of 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 um, of pricing in the stock. And the truth is, like Roman explained, you're getting more earnings, right? Or earnings are 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 up eight three percent in terms of net profit uh, year to date over the previous year. So you're getting more earnings for each dollar that you expend. But importantly, we also feel good about our growth prospects we feel good about the fact that we have taken an investment banking business from zero in december 2018 to 
over $700 million they're about today in terms of direct revenue. We feel good about new clients that we have acquired. You would have seen in the news that we will be bringing uh, one of the largest groups in the Caribbean, Massey, to the Jamaican market by way of a cross list. We feel yeah, good that's about... a big deal. That's, yeah, a, that's uh, a huge one. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we, we feel good about Ramon's genius as he leads our asset management unit and what, what they've been doing in, in, in structured finance and what they've been doing in, in, in managed funds and how that has translated and contributed significantly to a 95% growth in fee income uh, in, in our latest financials. So, not, you know, the way we look at it, we feel like the stock, the stock is worth way more than what we have, we have offered them in, in this APO. And the market seems to agree. The stock price has moved up since we announced and released the prospectus. So in terms of the stock price, you know, what, it, that's something that I want, I want your listeners to really key in on, you know, in terms of what, what our trailing earnings are on a per share basis. And if you think about past offers that we've made, if you look back, if you look at it now, you realize that we have significantly grown into our, into our valuation and you get significantly more profit and dividend for each dollar that you've paid for the stock over time. And we still feel good about going forward. And especially as we reap the benefits of being able to buy assets in the middle of a pandemic at very attractive prices as they naturally uh, increase in value. So we feel, we feel strongly about the growth prospects and that investors are getting value for the price paid for the stock. Somebody was specifically asking about Portmore. Do you plan to open any branches there? Uh, so maybe I can I can come in here, Kalila. So it's a quick I've one, read, you know, yes sir. I know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I've read statistics about um, Portmore being one of the most densely populated places in the Caribbean. And I did mention earlier that we, we do plan to be where our customers are. So you can make some inferences from that. Okay, fair enough. We like fair enough. Fair enough. Mm, yeah, okay, not the mosquitoes though. Uh, all right, so coming back to this issue of the share price, and it's taken us into this. Uh, some of the questions that have been raised in the media regionally recently. And this question comes from Silver Reed, and it concerns the relationship between Barita, Finance Limited and Cornerstone, and Silver wants to know, is Cornerstone and BFL, that's Barita Finance Limited, artificially inflating the share price? So, um, you know, what I would say in response to that is if you look at our share price, and again, if you look at value relative to our comparables, right? So let's look at where we're trading compared to our industry. On a price-to-earnings basis, I just mentioned that the $80 price is about 18.6 times trailing earnings, but our current share price is about 20 times. If you look at the rest of the financial services sector, most of our peers are in the high teens. I mean, some of the larger companies are even over 20. So the stock isn't trading astronomically outside of where the market is. So the notion that well you know, astronomically compared is, to where you're coming from in a very short period of time from ten dollars to ninety odd in three yeah. years. So so good 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 point. 
Kalila, but that is also in the context of our earnings per share moving from 86 cents in 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 um, financial year 2018 to a trailing earnings per share of $4.29 as at June. So earnings are five times what they would have been in 2018. So the fact that the stock price has moved up, as you pointed out, well, a little bit more than five times, isn't unreasonable when the company is now a growth company. I mean, prior to 2018, Barita would have generated modest growth. Um, you know, profits of about 200 plus million in 2018, they moved above the $300 million mark. What we've demonstrated over the last three years is very solid growth um, in profits nominally, but also earnings per share. So the fact that the stock price has moved up in conjunction with that um, is not unreasonable. I mean, we see that in the market all the time. The fact that our multiple has moved from 11 or so 12 times earnings, which is befitting of a mature company to about 18, 19 times earnings, which is more reflective of a growth company, is very reasonable in the market context. So I mean, I we think, have, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, please, please go uh, ahead. Yeah, no, I think one of the issues raised in those articles written by the Express was that there is a lot of trading between Cornerstone, BFL, BIL, whereas, and it, it kind of gives the impression that shares are being sold between the companies partially to inflate the prices so that perhaps when you have an offer like this the price goes up because you are buying essentially from yourself or a, a related company a very related company with some of the same uh, principles and then the price ends up going up as a result of that rather than being uh and which would explain how you went from $10 to $90 so quickly. Is there any uh, truth to that or anything there that investors should be, uh, should, should note? Well, hold on. Let me sure. just, uh, let me say one thing about the growth that you, you've been quoting from $10 to $92. Something very important for the investing public to understand is that Cornerstone bought Barita for, 22 million US dollars, probably around $3 billion at the time. Now, since then, Cornerstone has invested $17 billion into Barita Investments, right? And we need to keep that number in mind and understand that for an institution like ours, capital is lifeblood and also like raw materials. So you would see what our expanded capital base has done. For example, if you look at our FX trading and uh, Cambio operation, we were sixth in the marketplace uh, before. And now with our expanded capital base, we're third, which is significant growth. We are simply, we've been given more capacity to do more things. And what that what that has done is it has increased our profitability because we can do more transactions. Uh, another example of such things is because of the capital injection that has been placed into the company by its parent, we had capital in the midst of the turmoil induced by this pandemic. And we were able to be a buyer 
when the majority of participants in the market were, were sellers. And as those assets have recovered in price, we've been able to participate in that recovery through different services that we, we provide and through the capital that we've provided to the marketplace. So in a very real way, and something we don't want the investing public to lose sight of, is that Cornerstone has invested alongside the mi minority shareholder for every single issue that we have brought to the market. And that's important. Understand that a lot of the times when you hear about astute businessmen or successful investors, the pricing that they were able to get is not available to the minority shareholder in contemporary times. But that is not the case here. You are able to invest right alongside our parent company. And, 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 and in fact, because our parent company has provided so much capital, the minority shareholder is really the one that would have been able to reap the entire benefit from $9.20 per share right up to close to $90 where the stock is trading today. That was not available to the parent company because the parent company would have gone in at, at 15.50 and would have gone in again at 45 and would have gone in again at 52 and is going in again at 80. So really, it's important for the retail investor and the minority investors that are viewing your program to understand the unique opportunity being put before them. You have a large shareholder that is committed to provide capital at the pricing that is is released in these public offers. And I don't want that 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 truly unique opportunity to be lost on 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 your viewers because the fact of the matter is, you know, what whatever whatever uninformed messaging that might be out there. The fact is this, if you came into Barita at 1550, or if you came in at 920, or if you came in at 45 today, this day as we live and breathe, tomorrow morning you can sell your stock at north of $80. And, 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 and that's, that's just a reality because we have, we have the kind of commitment that is unusual from our parent company. So let me just let's just take a step back here because we started talking about Barita Finance, we started talking about Cornerstone, and we have various levels of investors watching. We have people who know the market, who've been following the news and know what's going on, and we have newbies who are just coming on to hear about the APO and don't know what on earth we're talking about right now. So so Cornerstone, first of all, is your parent company. Yes, and yes, explain no. who Barita Finance is and how it's different from Barita Investments. Well, sure, no problem, Kalida. So Cornerstone Financial Holdings Limited owns roughly 75% of Barita, and Cornerstone Financial would have bought 75% of Barita in 2018 um, via a, a public takeover offering, and the majority of those shares would have been bought from the founder of Barita, Mrs. Rita Humphreys-Lewin. Barita Finance Limited is a special purpose vehicle and it forms part of Barita's asset management suite of products. And essentially that entity is separate and apart from Barita. Uh, it is set up in a way where the shares of the entity are held in trust and the entity essentially acts as an investment vehicle. Um, you know, Barita is the investment manager uh, and via that relationship, the entity both raises capital and deploys capital with a view of providing investment solutions and also providing funding solutions that may be more efficiently provided via a platform such as that. So that's what Barita Finance is. 
Would it be correct to say that Barita Investments owns Barita Finance? No, it would be incorrect. So you said they're independent of each other. So the ownership is definitely independent. The shares are held in trust by a trustee. Uh, and such is the nature of these types of arrangements. It's very common in the investment banking world here in Jamaica and external to Jamaica. I mean, it's kind of similar to how, for example, Barita may offer pension fund products. We have an indip individual retirement scheme, but that individual retirement scheme is set up via trust arrangement. So Barita doesn't own that pension fund, right? Though it offers participation to clients in the pension fund product. But Barita Finance is also, I believe, the fourth largest shareholder in Barita Investments. Uh, so it may have been the fourth largest shareholder at a point in time. Um, yes. Well, I saw that in the prospectus. Yeah, so that it's... would have been as at, I think, March, uh, potentially, mm. um, 2020. Yes. That's what, just over 1% of the float? Yeah, I think so. You've already at that, at that point in time. And who, is, and who is 294 in relation to all of this, 294 Inc.? Yeah, so there's been some discussion in the press about 294 Inc. 294 Inc. is a company that we would have disclosed um, some time ago, I think approaching a year, um, as a company that is affiliated to one of our directors, Paul Simpson. Uh, that would have been disclosed, would have been in our annual report. 2020 annual report, yeah. Yeah. All right. So coming back to the share price now, I just wanted to get all of that uh, clear because now we have another question. John Doe is asking, interesting name, <laughs> saying, so why would BFL buy shares from Cornerstone for $92 instead of waiting for the APO to get a better price? Um, well, I mean, that question in and of itself um, is incorrect. BFL didn't buy any shares from Cornerstone. But I think I get where they're coming from. There was a question about BFL buying shares at $92 when the APO had passed some months prior and shares would have been available at $52. And the answer to that question is that BFL wasn't the only investor who would have bought Barita at a higher price post the APO. The fact is that the, you know, the, the fact that an investor is buying shares at a higher price in the future versus what would have been available in the past isn't the only point to judge whether the investor has made a good transaction and you know that share purchase would have ultimately resulted in in barita finance benefiting so i mean it was justified mm. and then ensworth follows up with a similar question says how can it not be artificially inflating the share price of barita investments when initially 294 sold shares it owned of Barita Investments, then lately to BFL, which then sold recently to Cornerstone, which has connected parties. I think I think the whole concern is that it just seemed like a lot of friend and friend thing and yes. just this big interconnected cycle. People eyebrows will be raised. Yeah, I understand. I mean the fact is, Kalila, that connected parties deal in the shares of the companies they're connected to all the time. I mean, if you look at the JSC, you're constantly bombarded with information about connected parties, directors, related parties either buying or selling shares. What is important is that 
that activity is conducted in the context of the Jamaica Stock Exchange's rules about disclosure and about timing their points in time, for example, that related parties cannot trade. Uh, so it's important that we conform to those rules when, rules when conducting those trades. The fact of the matter is that related parties, connected parties um, generally are present if you look at the, the top 10 shareholdings, if you look at the top 100 shareholdings in companies listed on the exchange. With respect to the specific question that was cited, do we, you know, Barita Finance buying shares from 294 at a price and then selling them recently to Cornerstone? Again, so just to be clear, share trading activity is typically public in nature, but the specifics around who does what isn't necessarily uh, public. So it's very unusual for me to be discussing this. But notwithstanding, mm -hmm. that is again, incorrect. And, you know, <laughs> there was a situation where Barita Finance bought those shares at 92 and sold them to Cornerstone um, over a year later. That is, is completely incorrect. That didn't happen? <laughs> no, that, that didn't happen. So, you know, if, if you, there, there is great focus on specific transactions by Cornerstone, specific transactions by Barita Finance and 294. But thousands of shareholders have bought and sold Barita shares at various prices throughout the course of the 11 years that the company has been listed, right? So it isn't unusual for related parties to deal in the stock right, at, at all. You know, so it, it isn't a situation where these trades have moved the needle. If you look at, for example, the days when those transactions would have been done, day stock price didn't move significantly on those days. Uh, it just so happened that the, the shares were traded and that's about it. So, you know, the, the notion that these trades themselves are moving the share price is an unreasonable notion. You know, one last question on this point before I move on. And this is a question that came directly from the most recent, I think it's the most recent Express article, one that was published on the 7th of September. So the way to have described the relationship between Bill and BFL is that Bill is basically the investment manager for BFL, right? So you manage their portfolio, correct? That's correct, yes. All right. So the question was one of many questions, but this is the one that I want to ask. Well, and, and the reason I ask this question as well is because if you're and, and we understand Barita Finance is a private company, Barita Investment is a publicly traded company. Yeah. But if you're the fund manager for Barita Finance, right, you one would expect Barita Investments to make decisions in the best interest of its clients, Barita Finance. And if me, Kalila, I want to sign up with Barita Investments. I become your client and I want to be sure that you are going to make decisions in my best interest. So if it appears that you have taken decisions that are not in the best interest of a client, then me, a potential client or existing client, I might be concerned. So the question in the Express is, was Barita Investments seeking the best interest of Barita Finance when the latter purchased all or most of the 11 million shares sold by 294 Inc. on October 14, 2020 at $92 a share when those shares would have been available to Barita Finance at $52 a share in the first APO, so like a month earlier. 
Yeah. So again, another good question. And again, it forces me to discuss um, trading strategy. It forces me to discuss transactions um, that were done by two private companies. But I mean, given the, the nature of, of you know what is being discussed here, I will outline it. So the company would have, you know, Barita would have been acting in Barita Finance's best interest in purchasing those shares because by purchasing those shares and subsequently um, transacting in them, the company would not have been worse off at all. I mean, what is being construed is that the Even shares at are $92. Price, that, that, the company, that the shares are purchased at $92 and sold at some lower price at a later date, and that is absolutely not true. That is not true. So, you know, again, to isolate the fact that shares were purchased at a particular price, um, which is higher than a price that was available a couple months ago as being the sole determinant of whether the purchase was a good purchase or not is unreasonable. One would have to understand the full dynamics and rationale behind the purchase and what would have been done subsequently, whether any gains would have been made, etc. Um, on the transaction. And, you know, that isn't readily available, I suppose, um, to the public. Or if it is, um, it has been chosen to, you know, ignore ignore that fact. So just to reiterate, uh, Barita Finance would not have been wor made worse off by that transaction at all. And we believe, we believe, sorry, we would have been acting in the best interest of the company. Okay, yeah, and if enough. I could um mm -hmm. if I could just add, I think it's important to understand some broader context. So, first of all, part of Barita's core business is fee income and investment management. Now, as we would have disclosed in our recent addendum, part a very lucrative part of our our, our business is participation in the gains of our managed portfolios. Uh the bespoke managed portfolio, such as exist under the BFL vehicle, which means that Barita Investments' interests are aligned with its clients doing well. Simply put, if BFL doesn't make if if BFL doesn't make that gain that it um it would have made to to provide the fees that we publish, the fees just wouldn't have been there to to be had by Barita, and also. As far as cornerstone, we need to understand the, the magnitude of the numbers we're talking about. Cornerstone has an investment in excess of $17 billion in Barita, right? It's, it's very important for us to understand the difference between, say, $17 billion and $300 million or whatever the case may be. Sometimes we'll, we'll lose sight of it with those large numbers, but don't confuse a brand new Samsung smartphone with a slice of honey wheat bread. And that is really <laughs> the kind of comparisons that we're talking about when we're talking about these numbers. We, we should not lose sight of the fact that Cornerstone's biggest investment is Barita Investments, which means that it makes no sense for Cornerstone to do anything to injure its, its largest subsidiary. And the same is true for how we manage the BFL portfolios. We are aligned with our client. And it's unfortunate that we have to get into some of the details of our, our competitive strategy. And like Raman said, this is highly unusual. But as you can see from, 
from our answers here, we are a public company. First of all, all of these things can be even discussed because we have disclosed them uh, on our own as per the rules of our regulators, right? And, and, and that's why some of this information is out. But we are not obliged to disclose everything that makes up our competitive edge, right? So because of that, we, see, we realize that some of the published information has as has, has been incomplete and in some in some um in some instances plainly wrong well i appreciate you guys answering the questions because to be honest i didn't expect you to answer all <laughs> i thought if i had just said you know um legal issues or, or privacy issues and and you wouldn't answer but i appreciate you guys taking the time to, to answer I'm going to take a couple more questions from our viewers because we're way over time for the segment, but I think it was very important for us to go over some of these issues. Ensworth Rose says, Bill recently invested $6 billion it raised from the 2020 APO last year in alternative investments. What exactly are those investments? Yes, I'll take that one, Kalila. So as we would have disclosed in the addendum to our prospectus, we would have recently launched alternative investments platform in line with what we would have said in our APO document. We've seeded it with $6 billion and we view alternative investments broadly across four main lanes. Right? That's, that's really where our focus is. Private credit, private equity, real estate, and infrastructure. Those are the four main areas of focus for us. And you know the the focus in the initial instance, um, I can't quite say. We are intending ultimately to take this vehicle um, to be public facing, so our customers will have an opportunity to invest alongside us in it. But we would prefer at this point in time just to speak to the broad focus um, as opposed to giving away exactly where we've started to act. So look out for future quarters with respect. So to it that. hasn't been purchased yet. I thought it said that uh, some some things have been purchased with the six that billion. Is, it's not so closed yet. Absolutely. So we would have seeded the platform with six billion and we would have started to acquire assets in, in that respect. So you can't disclose what's already been acquired? Mm, not, not just yet. yet. We would prefer not to. Kalila, let Good. me tell you something. Let me tell you something. So I I I'm privy to some information and 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 you 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 I think you'll be you and your viewers will be happy when 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 the information is disclosed and can be disclosed. But let 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 me just take it back from a historical context, right? As a as a history man, just to talk a little bit about infrastructure and real estate and the power that has to build value. Right. If we consult the writings of the late Edward Seaga as he described what Jamaica's waterfront was like. Right. And if memory serves, I believe that Harbor Street downtown uh, is is where the the water line started. Right. So Moses Matalan approaches the government with a plan for development. Now, think about the value that's created when you can transform, for example, uh, a water line with backfill reclaimed land. And then if you go down there now, you see all that is constructed, right? So if, if you can put, you know, a, a Ministry of Foreign Affairs or you can construct a BOJ building or you can construct all these different things on reclaimed land, just, just for example, right? Think about the value that you can create 
if you were intermediating that transformation, right? So you have literally open water that transforms into a significant portion of a business district. Or think about Portmore and the causeway and what it was before. You know, we spoke about Portmore earlier in the program. Think about what it was before Moses Matalan brought his vision of a causeway bridging uh, the, the, the waterway to reality. The point I'm making is that when you talk about infrastructure, you talk about real estate, you talk about alternative assets, there is significant potential to add serious value. The IMF has one estimate that says infrastructure investment returns 10 to 1. Right, so just to go back and 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 kind of tie a bow around a, a bunch of things that that um that we've been discussing, we have seeded the alternative investment platforms uh, to the tune of six billion dollars, and we are seeking to raise more money to add to that. Right, we can't disclose the specific details at this moment, but I just described for you examples that show how transformative and how much value they can actually create. And as far as the argument, the, the the questions about the stock price. A couple of things to understand about Barita is that because of what I just described to you and because as, as people can see the profit growth, we are investing, we are growing profit. Barita has an ethos of ever growing, not, not looking back. So it doesn't even make sense for you, for an investor to wait to invest, to try and wait for old pricing. Because even if you think about an investment bank, as you know, a conventional business, if you're building houses, if you create more block and steel and mortar, etc., more raw materials akin to our capital to produce, you will simply produce more. So as we add capital and, and strengthen a capital base, which by the way, stands at $30 billion today, right? The company was purchased for $3 billion, right? The, our, our capital base has grown by factors, Right, even more than a factor of nine that the stock price has grown. So that is kind of the logical correlation between what has happened fundamentally to the company and what we see reflected in the marketplace. Okay. All right. So I'm ex gonna expect to hear those announcements in the press soon. Make sure you bust me first, you know. Give me the give me the exclusive. I need to break it. Uh Ricardo wants to know will buyers of this APO qualify for the recent dividend? Ramon, you're going to disappoint them? Well, I mean, what I would say, Khalil, it really comes down to timing. Uh, the record date for the dividend has been disclosed. So to the extent that buyers are allocated shares before the record date, then sure, to the extent they aren't, then unfortunately not. But they can look out for a dividend uh, during the next financial year, for sure, if that is the case. Yeah, dividend All is... All right. Uh, let me see. <laughs> Somebody says, I think Barita needs to show more diversity. Seems like only brown people. <laughs> so Ramon and Raul, you're brown then. I suppose. Um, it it says on the ads, based on the ads, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, let me see if I have anything else. Uh, is value being created at this last one I'm going to take from all these related party transactions impacting Barita's financials as profit and not treasury transactions? I think that's a good question. Yeah. You kind of um, went so, over it. You kind of went over yeah, it. I think we covered it. Yeah, I think, I think we did. Um, 
I think we would have. Mm -hmm. um, but just to, to kind of round it out, uh, with respect to transactions that we conduct, um, you know, on behalf of clients in relation to our own stock, I mean, we do have a brokerage, um, and that brokerage would get fees paid by any client in relation to trading. But just to say, our brokerage business, while growing, um, and we would have been the second largest broker by value traded on the GSC in 2020, represents about 1% of our revenue at this point in time. It would have been just over 1% in 2020 and just under 1% of revenue in the financial year to June. So there isn't a whole lot of fees to call upon in relation to the brokerage business at this point in time. All right. So just to, to wrap it up then, let people know how they can participate in this offer. Sure, Raul, you want to take that one? Well, uh, we have an online platform. You can go to baritaboss.com. Right, and the steps, it's quite intuitive. You create a boss account and then you follow the steps as the uh, as the site directs you the whole process. You can get um, apply for your shares in five minutes. The important thing is just to have your proof of payment and have it uploaded. Uh, we need a receipt. Please don't take a picture of a check and upload it, but we need you to make the transfer and upload the confirmation. Or if you come to the cashier's window, make sure you get a receipt and you can upload that. But it's all online and we make it very easy for you to participate in this transformational opportunity. Uh, any selling agents? Yes, I mean, I can show the selling agents. Uh, so our selling agents include GMB. Uh, our co-broker is JN Fund Managers Limited. They're also a selling agent. Uh, QMAX, uh, Wealth Management. Uh, I know there, there was recent talk about them on, on your show. Kalila, um, who am I forgetting? Scotia Investments Limited is also here with us. And I think that that rounds out, that rounds out the list of our selling agents for this offer. All right. Thank you guys so much. I gave you guys extended time on this segment. Normally we'd be wrapping up the whole show by now. <laughs> but I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much, Raul, Ramon. No problem. Best, and all the best with the us. offer. So we'll hear Thank what you. happens next week. Thank yes, you. Yeah, we're closing next week. Take care. All right. Take care, guys. Okay. So thanks to Raw Pinnock, Ramon Small Ferguson from Barita joining us there about uh, their APO, which is now open. It's scheduled to close next week, the 21st of September. And they just told you how you can participate. And I want you also to comment below. So we have people commenting in the live chat, but also you can comment under the YouTube video itself. If you're watching this delayed, you can do so. And take our poll in the community section of my channel. So if you go to youtube.com slash slash community, I think that's how it goes. You go on my main page and then you see the community tab. You can take our poll for this week. It's not about Barita, actually. It's about a quite a rather controversial issue. Uh, should the COVID-19 vaccine be mandatory? This is a topic that I tackled in my last newsletter. And so I decided to open up this, uh, this poll early. So this poll actually opened on Sunday. Normally, I open the poll on taking stock nights. So whenever we're doing this show, the poll would go live. But I wanted to get some early reactions. And what do you think the reactions are so far? The answers are uh, comment yes, comment no below, and take the poll. So, so far, we have 924 votes.
25% said, yes, it should be mandatory. 62% so far have said, no, it should not be mandatory. Another 12% said, I'm not sure. So we have some comments. Let me see what people are saying under the post. Hmm. Seems like most, well, clearly most people are against mandatory uh, vaccination. Dai says many, D-Y, that is, many have natural immunity, so don't need the jab. Others may, meet, may need medical exemption because of existing health issues. Uh, here's a, a point about natural immunity, though, because I had COVID last year, so about a year ago, and I was wondering the same thing. I'm like, do I really need the vaccine if I've already had COVID? Don't I have natural immunity? But from what I was told by people who have much more expertise than I do in medicine, because uh, I have none, is that the natural immunity doesn't last forever. You know, it wears off after a period of time. So for me, who had it pretty much a year ago, getting the vaccine now makes sense. Um, but I do think that the natural immunity at least should be added to the conversation. I was reading an article about that earlier today, something we can talk about a bit later on. So yeah, uh, should the COVID-19 vaccine be mandatory? Take our poll. Up next, we've got your market recap and the analysts are standing by. Of Taking Stock was brought to you by Bulwark Insurance Agency. Insurance made easy. Time now for your market recap. Brought to you by Sagicor Investments. Think wealth, think Sagicor Investments. The Jamaica Stock Exchange declined with the combined index losing about 1%. 107 stocks traded across both the main and the junior markets of the JSC for the week ending Friday, September 10, 2021. 39 advanced, 58 declined, and 10 stayed the same. Nearly 187 million shares changed hands on the Jamaican dollar market, totaling $1 billion. Sagicor Select Funds Financial traded the most, taking up 38% of market volume. The stock gained $0.02 cents to open the week at $0.55. Cents. Lumber Depot traded the second highest, with people buying and selling nearly 29 million shares in the company. The stock gained $0.23 cents to open this week at $3.18. And Pulse Investments rounded out the most traded, taking up nearly 9% of market volume. The stock lost $0.04 cents to open this week at $3.85. Now let's see who had the biggest gains. Fesco stock price rose 21% to close last week at $2.49. SSL Venture Capital Jamaica gained 13 cents to open this week at 77 cents. And rounding out our biggest gains, Paramount Trading Jamaica gained 18 cents to open this week at $1.14. On the losing side now, Dolphin Cove was the biggest loser for the week, down 24%. The stock closed last week at $9.00. Kingston Properties was second on the list. Its stock price fell at 16% this week. The stock opens this new week at $8.56. Rounding off the biggest losers, Express Catering lost $0.13 cents to close last week at $4.95. Market Recap was brought to you by Sagicor Investments. Think wealth, think Sagicor Investments. This segment of Taking Stock, the Analysts, is brought to you by Proven Wealth and Ideal Portfolio Services. All right, welcome back to the program. It's time now for the analysts to start out. Kifash says lots and lots of violence in the stock market this week. My portfolio is poor red, pure red. Ouch. Ah, 
So let's introduce our analysts for this week. I'm joined today by Senior Wealth Advisor at Ideal Portfolio Services, Auric Angus, Asset Manager of Private Equity at Proven Management, Julian Morrison, and Research and Strategy Analyst at Sagicor Investments, Jodianne Aris. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back. Hi, Kalida. Good night, everyone. Good to have you on the program. So before we get into our topics for this week, I'm sure you were watching the discussion just now. And as people in the industry, I know that you're familiar with what's been going on and the reports about Barita. I just want to get a, a quick perspective from you. So the questions that are being raised about uh, Barita in Trinidad Express, do you think those were, were fair questions? Because I, I see some people commenting on Twitter that it seems like somebody has something out for Barita. Auric? Yeah, um, Khalid, I think they are fairly um, good questions by the Express. Um, obviously, Raman and Ral kind of handled um, some of those. Some are still unanswered. But when you have um, a business strategy such as Barita, you find it that to follow the money, um, it's hard to, to follow transparency while following the money. And I think most of the, the questions are being asked are clearly outlined in some of their reports. It's just that it's kind of hard for, for the regular investors to follow. Um, like I said, follow the money and, and get answers to some of those questions. Um, obviously, the business strategy is also kind of different. Uh, I wouldn't say new in comparison to other competitors within the industry. But um, for now, that's all I will say. And, and, and like I said, I think um, Raman and Raul kind of uh, hit the nail on some of those heads in the, in the previous conversation. Okay, uh, Julian, you're now involved in in asset management part of your company's business. Is this type of arrangement uh, typical in this industry? Well, specifically within the context of companies um, having related party transactions, um, there have been instances where it has happened before. But in terms of the specifics we can only look at what is in the notes to the financials. When you look at Barita's financials and you look at the, the, the notes and the items, they will give some of the explanations. The challenge, however, is that Cornerstone is a private company and the other companies right. involved are private. So a lot of things are up in the air, which has given way for speculation. Um, but what I'll urge investors to do is to remain diligent, do their homework, read the notes, connect the dots, as Auric said, to follow the money. And we have to invest based on facts. We can't invest based on unsubstantiated claims and hearsay. All right, so there's a lot that often comes out in those notes, and there are a lot of people who tend to, uh, I'd say lay people, not people with your acumen, Julian and, <laughs> and Auric and Jodian, but people, regular people, might just uh, browse through or skip through and not really look at the notes, but there's a lot of important information that's often in there. Jody Ann, before we move on, let me just hear your perspective quickly. Um, yeah, I mean, well, I, I agree with both um, Julian and Eric. Um, part of it is just really persons are looking from one side and not necessarily digging as deep as they could. Um, you know, quite a bit of particularly in in finance, um, you generally have some of these relationships that occur. And as you do your asset management, I mean, there are points 
sometimes our decisions, our transactions start not necessarily at the point at which, you know, as an investor, you see it and it becomes a worry to you. Um, so there are some things that probably were in discussion before or were in train before. And then at the point at which it occurred, it may seem, you know, um, suspect, but it just may have been how it is that the structure of the, the relationships were designed or how it is that things were, the negotiation process had started long before. Okay, let's get into the things that we had planned to talk about today, starting with Scotia Investments. They're, sorry, Scotia Group. They're reporting net income of $7.28 billion. So, Auric, how does this compare to uh, what they had reported before? How's Scotia doing? Um, yeah, it's it's a 31% um, comparison to, to last year, $5.5 billion. Um, obviously, that's, that's good results for a company who's perceived to be very conservative. Um, still, the, the total revenues continue be, to be heavily impacted by, by COVID-19. Um, but so with, with in addition to lower um, interest rates and transaction volume. So the, the, the revenue is still a bit flat, but the profit margins are a bit wider. Um, you see where the company has experienced a fairly good diversity across their revenue stream. So they have deposits which grew by 11%. Um, the, their mortgage book also grew by around 11%. The number of policies they wrote grew by 2%. However, the rev their insur insurance revenue has been down by 6%, and that's as a result of low, low insurance premiums. Um, interest income was also down by 9%. And and the, the whopping figure was that the fees and commission was up by around 18%. So overall, the revenue stood up really well. Um, the operating expenses were were up slightly, but you find within the report, you find that the company is trying to manage their staff and benefit costs and stuff like that. When you move over to the balance sheet now, um, as at July 31st, total assets stood at around um, $578 billion, which was a 6% increase from the last period. Um, the big takeaway here is that there's a significant cash increase on the company's book, and that is as a result of the increase in deposits that I've mentioned before. Um, when you move over to the, the valuation, um, it, it, overall, it's a solid performance from Scotia. I feel the market has always tend to undervalue the stock. Um, at a price of around 38, the PEs are around um, approximately 11 times. And I think this is a very attractive PE for a mature blue chip stock. And it's good for, for in investors who are seeking income. The company also recently uh, declared a dividend of 35 cents, which should be payable around October. Um, so the outlook and all in all for Scotia has been good. All of the numbers are above pre-pandemic levels. Um, in terms of the risk, we have to be mindful that before COVID, Scotia was pushing their loan, their, their loan products very aggressively. So the, the, the key factor is, is risk of some of those loans defaulting and, and stuff, you know? So we have to be mm -hmm. careful. We still have to tread lightly where that, where that is concerned. A big game changer for, for Scotia is that they are transforming digitally and changing the way most or most Jamaicans do this business. Uh, but um, it is it has been stable. There's 
as I said, there are significant downside risk in regards to their loan book, but overall, I think it's a, a pretty decent um, stock to add to one's portfolio. Mm-hmm. Okay, natural says patience, patience. patience. <laughs> let's look at another. Yeah, let's look at another company that's reporting results. Jamaica Broilers, Julian. What's uh, what's chicken looking like right now? Okay. Didn't they raise prices the other day? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. So, with broilers, it's it's an interesting situation because revenues, and this is for their first quarter for their financial year, twenty twenty two. So their revenues are up 40% to $17.6 billion, but their cost of goods sold, so that would have been the cost of their raw materials and their inputs, would be up 45.56% to $14 billion. So that shows the impact of inflation on raw materials, specifically because of shipping costs, as we would have discussed prior on this program, talking about the supply chain issues across the board, higher shipping costs that would have fed into raw materials that the company would import. Um, so that would definitely pressure their cost of goods sold. Um, however, we saw where gross profit still managed to increase 21.7% to 3.56 billion. So that is a positive signal. However, we noticed that total expenses went up 27.2% to 3.01 billion. And this has been a stress point for Jamaica broilers. We realize that they need to look at how they control their expenses, particularly their operating expenses, especially because of the issue with higher shipping costs hitting their, mm-hmm. their raw materials. So we need to see more narrative and discussion around efficiency in the company to see how more how they can get more of the revenues to convert to profits going forward. Now we see where the company is skilled at managing their working capital because their cash flow from operations leaped to 374.9 million, which is good, right? It's a significant um, improvement over the prior year. And that's mainly because of their working capital um, improvements. And in terms of where the sales came from, in terms of the revenues, we're seeing a good performance across the different um, markets. So in Jamaica, revenues are up 41% year over year. In the U.S. market, revenues are up 45.34% year over year. And actually, we're seeing where the U.S. segment is becoming more and more important to Jamaica broilers. It's actually now 44% of total revenues. So we see their push into the U.S. market is starting to um, lay some benefits for the company. And we expect that to continue going forward. And the issue there now in terms of markets is Haiti. We see where Haiti has some geopolitical issues. Even though it has a smaller share of revenues, they still have some exposure to that territory. And as a result of the issues there, their revenues are down 8% year over year in that market. Now, in terms of earnings attributable to shareholders, it's down roughly 30% to $290 million, um, for the period. And if we annualize that, that is roughly $1.16 billion. Now, we have to contextualize that by 2020 performance. 2020, um, they had 1.4 billion, and in 2021, they had 2.34 billion. But in 2021, we saw some, um, some, some non-core items in it, like insurance claims and all of these things. So when you strip that out, really and truly, so far, what they've been doing 
um they really been hit by expenses so we really need to see some controls there because as a year-to-date performance from an earnings perspective we need to see more even though revenues are great even though gross profit is still managing to move forward we still need to see more in terms of operating expenses being controlled um despite mm. gains in terms of working capital now in terms of the stock itself the stock is down 4.4 percent from the 200-day moving average and the stock is down 18.7 percent from the 52-week high and when we look at the pe which is the price to earnings ratio the stock is about 16.35 times and the return on equity is about 12.4 times so the fact is if this company manages to give us a surprise in terms of the earnings if something fantastic happens in the next two to three quarters and they're able to grow their earnings significantly compared to their current trajectory it means that the stock could creep up maybe another 10 percent another 15 percent from its current level but as is if they continue on this path we don't see much upside Mm, I was just sharing the screen. What Jodian gone? I want Jodian to tell me because she has my favorite, one of my favorite stocks, which is Fontana. I want her to give me those results. But I was just sharing the charts for uh, for broilers. Let's see if we can get Jodian back in the meantime. So as you were saying, the stock is down what eighteen percent from the fifty-two week high. So this That's would have right. been that high right around June nine. Thirty-six dollars seventy-eight cents, and it's now down to about thirty dollars. Yeah. Yeah, thirty dollars eight cents. Um, yeah. But there, there, there are some catalysts that can help the company. For for instance, if we can really normalize our issue around tourism, and we can get our measures to be more conducive to restaurants. For example, we know they have special relationships with Island Grill, KFC, and even some of the pan chicken um, operators would have used Best Dressed Chicken. So if we get more of our activity to normalize in terms of the economy, um, in terms of reopening, in terms of overcoming the hurdle um, associated with these lockdowns and curfew measures, it will help the company materially. But I think what's more important in the future, which is what investors are interested in, is how they will continue to grow in the US market. And that is continuing to, um, to benefit the firm we're seeing where they're doing well in terms of eggs and poultry in that market. And it's good if they could continue to push in that area, earn some strong foreign exchange inflows, but still controlling expenses. So more of those revenues can convert to the bottom line. All right. So let me just uh, give you the charts for Scotia. Auric, that was the company that you were just looking at. So here's what Scotia's stock prices look like lately. So in the past three months, okay, so it's a lot of up and down, a lot of volatility. Well, it's not huge, huge movements. It just looks spiky on this three-month chart. Let's see what the six months looks like. Same, similar for the year. It's uh, come down slightly. Yeah, the main it, selling point would be for Scotia would be definitely for income. Yeah. As already right. mentioned before. It's one of those income dividend player, you know? Yeah. And conservatively been, managed yeah household name loyal customer base number two in terms of market mm -hmm. share i believe mm -hmm. so it has a very strong level of brand equity in jamaica um it has the relationship with the international parent which has an influence over its risk profile yeah. so it's a good opportunity for investors to earn steady income especially given that interest rates are where they are you can get some income from 
So um, an equity like like Scotia, if that is what floats your boat. And then Fontana, the last one I wanted to talk about. Uh, Jodian was supposed to give us that update, but in terms of share price, so what happened right. here? So oh, investors was that investors the, uh, seem to be the earnings report as a result of the earnings report it seems to be in relation to the company's report because they did mm. fantastically well 85 um, percent of increase in, increase in, profit. in profits yeah. right yeah right in profits mm -hmm. what's important about fontana is not just that they've been able to grow their sales and grow their earnings and control their expenses which are all great notice in terms of their cash flow from operations that has gone up significantly as well so we have noticed just an increase in the quantity of earnings but also the quality of earnings it's not filled with fluff in terms of um fx gains for example and things that are non-cash items we realize that they're not just growing their profit but they're growing their cash which is very important um we notice they've spoken about transitioning into new areas they want to build new branches they want to increase their footprint they're basically the jamaican walmart in terms of the model that they have they have the pharmacy they have a broader retail experience they have a loyal customer base even during lockdowns people still put on them clothes just to go to fontana because fontana <laughs> itself is an experience which is very it important. really is especially that waterloo branch because you have the <laughs> escalator the kids love it you get to go to yeah. take them to candy craze upstairs mom buys her you know nice housewares it really has become an experience for the family Yes, I love Candy Cream. And that's right. the model that they seem to want to replicate for the new Portmore branch, no? Right, because as Ramon mentioned earlier in this program, Portmore is actually an, a market that has significant wallet share in terms of who lives in Portmore. It has a great concentration in terms of demographics of educated people who tend to earn more on average. So if you're looking at wallet share and where money can come from in terms of um, revenue per customer, it's a good prospective market. When you're looking at the infrastructure development that is happening in Portmore, you have more stoplights, you have greater crosswalks, you have wider roadways. It means that Portmore itself is becoming more developed and the profile Portmore of the people, area is big up yourself. And the profile of the area is changing. So Fontana is definitely doing their homework. Um, and we should continue to see further knock-on effects from that as well. All right. Well, unfortunately, we didn't get uh, Jody Ann back in time for her to contribute. But Julian, you stepped in well with the analysis. I see you're getting some props. Somebody said Julian is a great analyst. So thank big you, up to yourself, you. Julian. Try. Big mm -hmm. up, Auric. Thank you guys for joining me. No problem. Thanks, Kalina. All right. Good night. So that's Mental it for the analysts. The was brought to you by Proven Wealth and Ideal Portfolio Services. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty much it for our show, just to give you an update of what's happening on the channel this week. For the past few weeks, we've been doing financial statements explained. So you heard somebody make reference to the notes in the financial statements. This is something that I've gone over in our this series on financial statements explained on Money Mondays JA. Last night's episode was on the cash flow statement. I've also taken you through the profit and loss statement. And what's the third one? I don't remember. Anyways, three of them. So if you want to understand more about financial statements, check out Money Mondays JA. 
This week on Money Moves JA, tomorrow we'll be looking at when to fire an employee. Or if you're an employee, not a small business owner or business owner at all, uh, these are some offenses that can get you fired. So this is, an ex, uh, this is an episode that you definitely want to watch. We also have special features coming up with uh, JMMB talking about their small business resource center. And we're catching up with Rez from VM Wealth soon as well. And tomorrow, join me on IG Live at one o'clock because I will be live streaming the DBJ's launch of their Serve Jamaica program really important program, really awesome. If you have a small business, you can access loans at very low interest rates. It's super hard to get loans at all for small businesses, much less at 2% interest, up to 5% interest. Normally, you'd be looking at 15 plus percent. So we'll be live streaming that tomorrow at one on my IG page. It also comes with a grant component of up to $300,000 for your small business. So definitely something that you want to tune into. And a lot more coming up, you know, in this, side of, this part of town, we be working, putting work like, see, I have my Porsche colors today. <laughs> Working, working, working. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, everybody. Until next week again. Uh, and of course, you can always find me all over social media at Kalila Ray and on TikTok. TikTok is interesting. That's that's quite an interesting space. But follow me there over on TikTok. And of course, check out my website, kalilareynolds.com for financial information you can use watch, listen, or read. There's a podcast version of all of my programs on whichever podcast platform you subscribe to. So if you're not into the, the YouTube thing, you want to listen on the go, you can try the podcast version as well. And then there's always the recap in my weekly newsletters, twice a week, Wednesdays and Sundays. Subscribe at kalilareynolds.com slash newsletter. And of course, tell a friend about taking stock because what? Investing is the new sexy. So let's make it cool to talk about money. I'm Kalila Reynolds. Let's get this money.